So what if I told you that in the next hour or so, I can give you the exact blueprint that anybody could follow in order to find happiness? And to be honest, it's not that difficult. I mean, it might take a little bit of work, but theoretically speaking, any and everybody should be able to find happiness in this lifetime. So you could be a business owner, you could be working a nine to five, you could be a family person, you could be a recluse, it doesn't matter. Whoever you are, the steps are exactly the same. No more walking around with your back slouched. Stand up tall and take hold of the happiness that we all deserve. So enough from me, now let's get into the content. So without further ado, this is 1000 Voices and today we have Samantha Clark. All right, thank you very much for coming to 1000 Voices, Samantha. How are you today? I am so good. Thank you for having me, Tevin. Yeah, I'm really happy to have you on. Happiness, I've never really come across, not even really, I haven't come across another happiness consultant before. The so, one and only. The one and only. <laughs> yeah, I feel very privileged to have the one and only here. So thank you for coming on. Much appreciated. Oh, cool. Yeah. For the people who don't know who you are and what you do, do you mind giving us a bit of a background to start off with? Yeah. So I am a happiness consultant and change maker. Um, essentially, that means that I support individuals to really think about how they can show up and be amazing in the world through increasing their resilience, their strengths, their purposefulness and intentionality in the way that they work and live. Um, I have written a book as well called Love It or Leave It, How to Be Happy at Work. And that is about you, you know, taking the reins on your career and really identifying what am I going to love in the way that I'm working and is it time for me to leave this and what do I leave it to another job or building a portfolio career I have a TED talk um, on um, are you ready to break up with work really pushing people to question how they work the way that they work what they can do differently and to just show up a bit more for themselves so that's you know um, my my purpose is really about helping people to, to live well to be well and to work well and I'm fascinated by all things psychology neuroscience coaching um, and I'm also moving into the field of like neuroaesthetics looking at how our spaces and art and creativity really can support our well-being to be better so this is my mission um, and that's kind of how I show up in the world that sounds so I do, cool. Oh, yeah, sorry, I do on. a lot of keynote speaking as well and um, talks for brands and companies. That that last one you said, the neuroaesthetics, right? Yeah. That's that's really cool. Never heard of it. But <laughs> sounds, <laughs> sounds really cool, actually. So what I like to do, just to start off with, I, I always like to take it back, um, you know, start off with a bit of upbringing and that kind of thing. With this particular interview, so with you being a happiness consultant and working towards helping other people be happiness and be happy sorry Mm -hmm. and you know find their purpose and that kind of thing I'm wondering looking back at your own childhood would you say that you had a happy upbringing Mm, very interesting um so my childhood I guess there were lots of elements that were enjoyable some not so enjoyable I have sickle cell anemia and um I was diagnosed around five I believe yeah five and it was definitely um quite a disruptive period I think I was very sick with meningitis and pneumonia and my parents didn't really know what was you know going on and then after just being in hospital for a period of time they realized oh actually she has sickle cell anemia and that definitely um was you know a huge kind of theme and uh 
concurrent alongside my my childhood growing up was that relationship with chronic pain and hospital and kind of in and out um I'm an only child so it's just me and my parents so there was the three of us um and we've definitely you know grown and evolved we've had our our pain points we've had our good times so I'd say yeah it was a mix but I think I definitely struggled a little bit at school um being sick quite a lot and not really being able to join in um I guess that's probably why I'm a bit of a geek now as probably in my studies a lot more I wasn't able to participate in a lot of sports and things and I kind of felt a little bit awkward um so yeah that's kind of the journey but you know there's lots that I've worked through and I've healed from that that I think have made me a better happiness consultant but yeah I'd say it was it was good and it, it had its bad times too yeah and would you say so I know you've had you've had um done a few like different careers before you got into his work as a happiness consultant but would you say that your childhood and particularly perhaps maybe the sickle cell anemia has played a role in you deciding later on in your life okay I, I want to go down this route and become a happiness consultant yeah I mean um so sickle cell anemia means that you generally have quite a lot of painful attacks in different parts of your body so in your joints um everywhere basically that your blood flows and I I definitely know that there were periods of times where and you know even into my early 20s where you would cycle through that pain which would then mean that you weren't able to move and do things and then you go into a period of like depression and um a bit of anxiety around it and you know the negative thoughts and so I've had to find ways of keeping myself positive in those moments uh, ways to, to push me to think differently um, and you can fall into this kind of all or nothing cycle like nothing's ever going to work out I'm not going to be able to do anything and I have really used that as a driving force in my life to push me to do different things um, definitely I had my issues maybe um, with being at peace with with my sickle cell so I used to hide it I guess in my earlier jobs when I'd be in pain and I'd still kind of push through and work because I didn't want to disappoint and you know obviously we've already got the the kind of need to to really um prove ourselves at work sometimes as black individuals and I didn't want to be you know pulled aside for anything I was just kind of like let me just get on with it and I'd be pushing through pain needlessly and so you know hiding from that also made me feel like I'm only cheating myself I'm not really being honest and so that also helped me feel to think about okay this way of work isn't working for me what can I do differently how can I um, cultivate a lifestyle that allows me to support my body versus ignoring it and also just to be honest about what's actually going on for me versus having to hide it. Yeah and with regards to you being in your early 20s and working and you know going through the serious bouts of pain uh, feeling and going through depression all of those struggles you're going through whilst working at the same time I'm assuming mm. that was when you're working in advertising and branding world right yeah definitely so I would you know you've got the long nights and the kind of intensive workloads and I just didn't I also just didn't really click with it all I think I was in an environment where there were lots of parties lots of drinking lots of drugs um, I was probably also working on client work that I didn't truly love and I just didn't feel like it was the right fit for me and I couldn't always explain why I was tired or you know why I might need a sick day or you know spending an hour in the, in the bathroom just trying to navigate pain and 
I was just like this I don't know if this is the right industry for me and I felt morally also a little bit empty because I was working on things like you know Alco Pops and lots of sugary cereals and I just thought is this truly what I want to do um and if not this then what and I think that's what set me down on the path of just pondering what was next so in the midst of all of that how do you remain positive how do you stay try and keep a bit upbeat and to have some grasp of happiness yeah I think for me um it was definitely uh well being an only child I definitely found a lot of my own methods either just like uh got a huge imagination so I would just do a lot of visualizing and um I had a really great relationship with my aunt who unfortunately is no longer with us but she was such a a pivotal force in terms of being creative and she was always someone that I could talk to about stuff and she would just have the biggest smile and the biggest energy and vibe and she would just be like you know what you've been put here for a reason um you know let's make something together let's do something let's don't worry about the pain uh, and I also think that my mum was very um whilst our relationship is a lot better now I think we had our difficult periods but she was always very much like there's been so many times where you could have left this earth or you you know were very close to death and you're not so you are here to do great things so this is not an opportunity for you to kind of like sit on your laurels they were very like you know hard-working Caribbean parents and it was just you've got this just get on with it so there was a bit of stiff upper lip like keep on it persevere and then I have my aunt for like okay let's make life playful let's make life creative she taught me how to sculpture and paint and draw and we just have lots of conversations. That's really interesting. So I guess on your end, what helped you was having some sort of a support structure around you. So your yeah. mom, your aunt and helping, you know, having that and then them speaking to you and advising you, trying to, you know, taking your mind away from everything that was going on at the time, um, yeah. which really helped you. And then you, it's interesting, you said your aunt was really creative, you're sculpting and doing all that cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. she was, she was definitely, and she would, she would push me to kind of, you know, if, if work wasn't good, she'd be like, okay, but you love shoes, why don't you take a course in footwear, you know, and that kind of got me spurred into thinking about, oh, actually, yeah, I do really love shoes. And um, I, you know, I'm excited, but could I ever make them? And she's like, why not? You know, just sign up for a class and see where it takes you. And, you know, that was the beginning of the next journey for me. Um, so I think between like, you know, those quite strong women and me myself just cultivating my own like inner narrative or ways or, you know, a diary or my imagination about what I could be beyond this. Um, yeah, I think that's how I navigated it all. Yeah. So then after you left the advertising world, you've transitioned into the fashion world. Yeah. Yeah. Your, your creativity can really come out. And I was looking at your, looking at some of your pictures. I like your style. It's, it's oh, really thank cool. You. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> thank really you. cool. And it's interesting because I used, I come from a fashion background myself, actually. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Back like, it feels like it was so long ago, but in, it actually wasn't that long, I guess. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I came from a fashion background. I went to London College of Fashion and done nice. my, my undergrad there in fashion business. Um, but I've transitioned away and I'm not in fashion right now. Okay. Um, but for you, so when you trans- transitioned into fashion, away from advertising, you said that you had some, you, f- you felt morally, didn't feel right as well working in that industry. Do you feel like that transition was a step in the right direction for you to help you find the happiness that you were looking for? 
Yeah, definitely. I think I came home, you know, after different conversations with my aunt and just like browsing different things. I also felt like there was always this question over my head about am I creative or I wanting to be more creative, but not really knowing what that looked like. And I, you know, started with these evening classes. So I would go to um, footwear production, footwear design, fashion history. And it suddenly became like, okay, in the day I was doing this other stuff. And in the evening, I was like making things or like sewing shoes and um, learning about like the history of different fashion. And it, I just got lost in that world. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love it. And I started to make my own um like footwear collection and you know traveling to factories in East London going to Italy um getting the fabric working with other designers like I just felt like I came alive and it was just nice kind of balancing um I started to do a bit of freelancing and like trends and then was doing the fashion and unfortunately we got into I think it was just the beginning of the recession in 2008 and I had been looking for some backers to help me. And they were like, actually, you know what, fashion, it's very money intensive. And they were like, actually, I don't think that's the right fit. And so for me, I was like, okay, well, you know, this, this is going to be quite intense. What else could I be doing if it's not this right now? And I started to just do styling for people. I was introduced to somebody who'd been made redundant. And we went on a journey together, kind of looking at his style and he was also talking a lot about work and the issues that he'd been through with work. And we just bonded over that. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is a whole, I gave him a few bits of advice and he went off and did it and came back with a new like perspective, new job. And I was like, I really like this. And this got me thinking about how could I pull all of the different skills that I have together. And I just went home one night with a big like batch of post-it notes and was just putting out all my skills and um found this thing called coaching and I was like what is that went and did some training and then this was like the beginning of like happiness consultancy I, I you know did um my first batch of training in like one-to-one -one work and I was like right now I've got some tools to really help people make changes and I was using it on myself as well and I could start to see myself flourishing in new ways so that was definitely like the intro into it and what sort of tools were you using yourself at the time? So there was just lots more about how to kind of visualize, thinking about my purpose, um, different questions that I'd be asking myself, different, um, I guess, quizzes that I could work through to kind of see, you know, what strengths I was pairing in what way and, and how I wanted to make changes. I was also doing a bit of mindset work, looking at what my inner critic was telling me, what I could and couldn't do and how I could see that language coming across when people would talk to me about, you know, oh, I don't think I'm gonna get that job or I'm not very confident giving presentations or I don't know how to, um, you know, how to tell my, my partner or something that I don't wanna do this job anymore, but it's gonna affect finances. And I could start to see the language that people were using and the negative ways that they were talking about themselves or their relationships or the situations and try and tease them out of that. Uh, so that was kind of it I think with everything whether you're doing coaching and I've you know just finished a foundational year in in psychotherapy it's all about noticing what's going on with you and your triggers and how that then ripples out into the situation and then when I can see that for myself I can also help clients to see it 
for themselves too. Um, and I can be that objective voice as well and pick out some things that I, I noticed as well. Yeah. On that inner critic part. So do you feel like that inner critic needs to be silent or something? So let's say, for example, we're talking about someone might feel nervous about delivering mm. a public speech. Um, mm. Every nerves, I guess, are natural. You're just going to feel nervous. How do do we what, reframe what we say to ourselves instead? Like, how do we deal with that, that, that inner yeah. critic? Great question. I think we have to um, befriend it. So in the beginning chapters of my book, I talk about my inner critic called Dizzy. And I think oftentimes the inner critic is this um, voice that we've internalized from other voices. So it might be things our parents or caregivers or teachers, uh, people who've had some sort of influence in us growing up. And, you know, they've said, oh, I don't think you're going to be very good at that or stick to this road you know that's right for you and we internalize these voices and it becomes this big person in our mind who is pulling at the strings and sometimes you have to question is this what you know what I'm thinking right now is this helping or hindering me moving towards where I want to get to what could this conversation or this voice be getting me to be curious about instead of running away from um what could be helpful about you know some of the stuff that I'm telling myself and if it's not helpful then how do I begin to unravel it how do I begin to question why it keeps coming up and affecting me in that way and so sometimes I think dizzy is um motivating so you know sometimes the inner critic comes up and it's like well you can't really do that I'm like well actually I think I can because the proof shows that I've done it time and time again or if I can't, maybe I could collaborate with somebody. Um, and I don't know, I think I've just begun to question why, why is it making me play small when actually the proof shows me that I can do otherwise, or I've got a good unit of people around me who will kick that out of me. And it's noticing, do I have those other critical voices in my life that will help shape me to move me forward versus me just staying stagnant? Is there a reason why you've given your inner critic a name? Yeah, I think it helps to just give it a little characteristic, uh, you know, uh, uh, a shape. Sometimes it's almost like I can visualize the conversation that we're having together. And it, it just helps me to step outside of myself and just see this as, you know, some sort of debate. And sometimes this is a bit of a muse, you know, it is actually inspiring me and it's pulling out the, maybe some blind spots I hadn't noticed, you know, when it's like, oh, actually, um, have you prepared this and this and this? So, you know, and I'm like, oh, actually, no, I haven't. <laughs> so that's a really good point, you know, and I think it is good to just have this dialogue um, so you can separate yourself from it because I get people to keep like a little achievement diary as well. So you can really see where you're progressing in life. And if you allow yourself to just live in your own internal narrative and not look at the proof, not look at what's happened, you're not going to move forwards. So just stepping outside of yourself, seeing this as a separate conversation and a dialogue that you can assess it just helps you to kind of remove yourself and not be so absorbed in it it's interesting when you're talking because i'm seeing hearing some parallels between have you read the power of now yeah yeah I yeah, yeah i'm hearing some parallels because he talks about i read it some time back so i might be but from some of the key one of the key things i took away from that was when he talks about um not necessarily running away from your thoughts but just becoming aware of what they yeah. are sit in, yeah. listen, just be aware. Um, yeah. And it's there. It's like you're saying, just befriend it. Don't run away from your inner critical voice. It's just there. Like, befriend yeah. it. 
um, and learn to live with it, you know, and that kind of thing. Totally. Um, and I think sometimes it's almost like when you look, think about meditation as well, and these thoughts come up and people are like, oh, stifle it down and just get back to your breath. And that's all well and good. But I think, you know, one of my old meditation teachers said to see your thoughts like clouds and like a weather system. And, you know, the clouds move on through the day and they're there. They're fluffy, they disintegrate, but it's only if you really give it, you hold on to it and you give it so much more power and substance that it starts to control you. Yeah, yeah, great. So do you have like a happiness routine? Is meditation a part of your happiness routine? Yeah, I do have a little happiness routine. Um, I think it's more, I call it a little wind up, wind down routine. Because I feel like how I wind up into my day, I'm not someone who can just like, get up and get going straight away I, I definitely need some spaciousness in the morning mm. um and it's a mixture of um you know a little bit of like quiet time meditation time whether it's just staring at the sky um uh, or just taking some time to pause in the morning I do a little bit I I never used to journal I used to really hate sitting down and writing and just you know doing it that way but then actually I alternate between writing or voice noting in the morning. If there's anything on my mind or if there's a, a certain way I want to show up today, I will do a little voice note or I will write down some notes about um, like what's going to be on my happiness compass today. So I might set up like the four points on the compass, like how do I want to show up today in terms of attitude, mindset, manner. Um, definitely there's a little kind of smoothie situ going on um and then I try and do some sort of movement in the morning that really helps my joints um and yeah and then I kind of just get into the day from there amazing all right so what would you define happiness as I think happiness has definitely evolved for me over the years and I think it is more about that contentment now you know do I feel at peace does my nervous system feel peaceful um and I think it is just noticing you know what is it that really brings me joy and that spirited um a sense of adventure i don't think happiness is that destination piece i think it is really about savoring every moment of every day and just noticing you know what really does light you up In the past two years we've gone through so much turmoil and so much disruption and there's still so much uncertainty and and disconnection in the world that actually, you know, we can find happiness in the smallest little things. Um, it's a stranger giving you a smile on the street. It's, um, you know, I love getting like feedback from clients or just the fact that, you know, I can make a good meal and it tastes excellent and I can, you know, give that to my friends. Like there's little things like that, but it is that sense of cont contentment now. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting as well, because when you, you know, from, growing up you go to school and you're sort of sold a narrative and mm. no though nobody necessarily uses the word it's like happiness is not even it's afterthought when you think about it but nobody necessarily uses the word happiness it's just like okay you go to school you get your grades you go to uni mm. you get married you have two children you move out to the suburbs and that's the narrative that we've yeah, been yeah, yeah. constantly sold and then it's still like when you've done that then you've basically won at life and as an afterthought then I suppose that's supposed to bring you happiness but um that's not really always the case i suppose isn't it with yeah i was going to with your uh in your line of work and your experience what are you what are some of the main things that you find clients are coming to you with that are 
really taken away from their happiness? Mm, good question. I think, um, so if I take them in different sections, when I think about career, I think some of my clients are wondering if they are, if what they're doing is purposeful. Uh, do they feel like they're actually making a difference or just a cog in the wheel? Um, they feel a bit of a misalignment with the company that they're working with in terms of the values there. But also I think we can get trapped in a certain element of I've built a certain lifestyle and I need the money to fund that. And I can only do that in this role. And so I think, yeah, purpose is a piece around the career. I think there's also this feeling of I want to do I want to move in one direction, but I just don't know if I have got what it takes to, to do that or you know, I'm not from a family of entrepreneurs or there can be all these historical baggage that keeps us in certain roles. I think in the workplace, a lot of the common themes are around stress and overwhelm, um, productivity, feeling burnt out, um, not knowing how to draw the boundaries between where work ends and where life starts. And with everything being so intertwined now, I think there's that congestion. I think sometimes when it comes to people stepping into leadership, it's, you know, how do I lead people? Um, who am I as a leader? Like, what's going to be my quality, my spin? Um, I don't know how to relate around certain problems, maybe to do with mental health or to do with diversity and inclusion. Like, I don't, like how do I even start to have those conversations? And I think sometimes when it's like more about the life thing, it's, um, self-sabotage I think there's quite a few around the fear and the um, the worry about you know am I making the right decisions and maybe not even moving forwards with certain goals because they're just fearful that either they're going to be very successful and that's also quite scary or that it's going to fail and what are people going to think there's it's a load of load of different pieces you said there yeah we've the one that resonates the most with me is definitely the boundary setting and that's mm. something I've struggled with myself with mm. not only just work but just in life like I feel that I've grown up in my life without necessarily a sense of boundary setting really and you get into an adult and then there's only in recent years I'm hearing people talking about boundaries 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 mm. I'm like I don't even know how to set them and then even at that sometimes it's, you might feel awkward you don't want to tell someone this is my boundary like we got to stop it it can be awkward um mm. in the first place and you say in whether it's like an interpersonal relationship whether it's work whether even if it's with the friends spouse whatever yeah uh what and i guess in all of those different situations the way you set them might probably be different i suppose uh but on the work piece because we're talking about that in what ways do you feel people should and can set boundaries mm. I think it's really important to think about, you know, how you're working and what are the way or the rhythms in which that you work that are actually going to bring out the best in you. And so it's noticing, you know, one thing I do with my clients is really getting them to think about energy levels throughout the day and whether or not they keep pounding their diary with more and more meetings. And actually, that's probably their their best productivity time and getting so within that it's getting out of people pleasing and moving into a place of actually, no, this is time that I need to be blocked off to deliver on X amount of work, or actually this is time that I need for strategic thinking. Can we do it here at this point? Or 
actually I can't help you with this right now but I'll be able to do it at this particular time and just getting really firmer with that because I think there's always this balance between wanting to deliver wanting to to meet certain standards but then equally if you're saying yes to everyone else's priorities what then happens to your workflow so you know there's definitely the boundaries we need to set around energy management and the way that you're working and the 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 tasks and responsibilities that you have to get done but then I think there's also something around um how you want to be spoken to and how you are cultivating relationships with people and where there are certain boundaries that one we need to learn how we're showing up in that scenario because we are the common commonality in all of our different relationships right so if there is a a common thing that keeps coming up is this something to do with you or is this something that a conversation you need to have with somebody else so it's identifying what are the different communication styles that exist you know am I misreading things or are they misreading me and how do I start to maybe push back if I feel like I'm not being heard or if I feel that uh, sometimes I, you know, I I want to be noted or or being seen in particular groups or want my voice to be um, seen, especially virtually as well. So it's like mm. noticing where am I not making a name for myself or not making myself heard, and how do I start to stand up for myself a bit more? And I think the other boundaries is knowing when to call it a day at the end of the day you know when we keep going and going and going how is that eating into the rest of your life and how can the company whether you are the leader and you're thinking or the manager and you're emailing people still at eight nine o'clock you're not setting the tone for people actually switching off so you know that's something that I try and help at a senior level really cultivate like what is the framework for how you're going to operate and give people the opportunity one to switch off so that it can be refreshed to deliver great work the next day but also that you're getting into the you're actually walking the talk as well you know as you're talking there something pops into my head and I'm thinking about when we talk about in work um attrition rates it's particularly mm. black staff and I yeah. couldn't I can talk for like a handful of I'm pretty sure it's the same across the board but I know lack of a handful of firms anyway where it's definitely a fact where black mm. staff are leaving at way higher rates than other groups within these workplaces and I'm wondering if um if you've had any insight into that if you've heard anything from clients from other people is it to do with this boundary setting piece is it a culture thing um happiness like what's playing yeah. into that do you know what? I think it's a mixture of things I think it's a reality of one um do I feel like this is a place where I'm actually going to be heard seen and able to progress and I think there's a, you know, there's a lot of companies where they're talking a good game about diversity and inclusion, but actually at very senior levels, it's still only re- represented in one way. And I think as a, as a black individual, if you're looking at that and thinking, where am I going in this company? Is there an opportunity for me to progress? Can I be cultivated to move forwards? Then actually, if it's not here, then I need to go somewhere else where I am seen and heard. And I think there's also just different responses to conversations around race and you know other areas around diversity inclusion and a company saying one thing but yet doing another and I think if if an individual again is feeling that mismatch and a misalignment with values they're going to move on um plus there's also been a massive rise in entrepreneurship and people thinking well fundamentally if I want to maybe build a different life in a new way then I might have to build it for myself and work for myself. Um, I know that 
for me, it was definitely interesting to look at how could I start to build my own business or, you know, work in a way that was very different to maybe what my parents had done. And, um, and that meant, you know, starting to work for myself. And I'm, I'm not trying to say one is better than the other, because I feel like it's really important for you to be happy doing your work, whether that is you in a company or you starting your own business. Um, but I feel like people are questioning, you know, is this really for me? Am I trying to fit into a box and it's making me feel really uncomfortable and I don't feel like I can, you know, really push myself or have these conversations here. I'm going to go to another company where I can or I'm going to go and start working for myself. So when I have spoken to different clients, it is, you know, a case of I just, uh, you know, I struggle. I struggle to be heard here. I struggle to feel like I have to fit in. I struggle to um, to, to see, you know, if some of the practices and the, the systems they're putting in place are actually going to benefit me or work against me. And so I think, you know, we're all at a crux point where we're making key decisions. And I think companies need to really step into that and notice that if you don't really listen to everybody in your business, everybody, you know, the black individuals, the Asian individuals, how are you going to hold on to this really diverse workforce who are incredibly talented, um, who will help you drive your business forward and be strategic? And if you don't, they will go elsewhere or they will go and start their own thing. Yeah. And I want to take it back a little bit to when we were talking about some of the issues that staff are, um, no, that people, some of your clients that you're facing that are taken away from the happiness. Something else you mentioned mm. was purpose. Mm. And I wanted to touch on that as well. So like, from a personal perspective, I feel like I've, I feel like I found my purpose. And yeah. I guess for me, it drives me forward. Like just having that in me, you know, I feel like if I didn't have that, I always tell my wife, if I didn't feel like mm. I had that, I would be so, I don't know, I'd, I'd, feel, I'd feel really defeated, really, in a way, just because you don't know where you're going, you don't know what you're doing. Mm. For yourself, you spoke about, you know, your journey, your, I guess your upbringing played into it when you was in the fashion world, you got um, your friend, your styling, etc. And then you you came into the, what you're doing now and you've discovered your purpose, you know. Uh, so I'm just thinking, for people who who may not have discovered it, they might be feeling the way I feel I probably would feel if I didn't discover, if I hadn't discovered mine. Mm. How do people like that go about finding what their purpose is in the first place? Mm. So I feel like purpose is, um, you know, it's not just going to turn up and knock at the door. It is through a process of finding and creating. And I would really encourage people to think about inviting more experimentation into their life, because I feel that, we can get, I think we think that that's just for kids or playtime and like work is supposed to be serious. But I think there's a real question of like, what are the things that I would love to do? But I keep my critic immediately is like, we can't afford to do that. Or you don't know anybody in that industry or you don't have the right skills for it. But actually what would happen if I just set out a period of experimentation with three ideas? Maybe it's um, wanting to start a YouTube channel wanting to you know learn how to be a landscape gardener and maybe one thinking about starting to buy property like in all of that I'm not saying you need to go from career like um you know ground zero to like complete revolution in a month it is about just starting to think okay for one of them could I um interview somebody who is a landscape gardener how many property shows am I watching or 
courses, mini courses could I go on? Could I set myself a period of three months to explore the world of property in all its facets, at, you know, after work, on the weekends, interviewing people, taking a couple of courses, looking at what I've got financially and just seeing, does this really light me up? Because sometimes we can talk about what we want to do in terms of purpose, but when we get into it or we take the job and we take the leap and we're like, actually, this is not what I want to do at all. You know, it, only through the experimenting and hacking how you're working can you start to unpick what really lights you up. And I feel like I've gone through that process, right? You know, really experimenting, making the shoes, doing that. I definitely learned that I loved sourcing. I like, you know, curating the, the collection. Probably wasn't happy all day to sit drawing shoes and things like that. I love the making of them. And then as you get into like the coaching, who do I want to support? Actually, through doing lots of one-to-one -one and group work, I realized that, you know, there are times when I really love one-to-one -one because you're getting deeper with somebody, but actually I'm okay delivering a group workshop too, but I probably want more of the one-to-one -one in my, my portfolio. So you have to do things to start to give you that insight into how you show up as an individual, what triggers your fire, what actually leaves you flatlining and you thought god i really wanted to be a, a photographer but actually sitting around you know working with people taking portraits it's kind of boring like i don't think that's what i want to do so i think list out maybe your top five things that you really want to do think about maybe one to start with that you could start to experiment and just question you know what excites me about this um, what am I eager to learn about? Where am I? What are the things that people come to me for? Often we forget, you know, when people ask you for great advice or they know that you're good at one thing, that's some, there's a seedling there in your calling that you're either running away from or it's just something that you're not visible to. So notice what do people pay attention to you for? What do they come to you for? Um, and what really lights your fire up and just treat that as little mini experiments little fires that you can start and document the process see it as a little science experiment and then you can whistle things down and a lot of people want the magic pill but I think purpose is that exploration and that curating and creating and you know discovering as you go I feel like that is the magic pill though like, as, you, <laughs> yeah. as, you, yeah, as you were talking like it was resonating so so much with me because I'm just getting like my life is flashing before my eyes literally <laughs> mm. I'm thinking about myself yeah because I hadn't looked at it like that before and then as you're talking it's like oh yeah that I have I've tried a lot of things before I've tried a yeah. lot of things in the past like random things I can like leading here or trying this sport or trying this trying that going to different events meeting different people and over time, without me even realizing it, you're starting to learn and realize, okay, this is what I'm passionate about. This is what mm. makes me, this is what I'm, fi I'm fired up about. This is what I'm happy. This is what I'm angry about. This is what I love. Mm. And over time, it gets pieced together um, yeah. until it manifests itself. It's like, okay, I, I know what I want to do. I, know, I don't even necessarily know the exact steps I'm going to take, but I know where I want to go. And just that image in, in of itself for me keeps me going. But it's yeah. definitely, definitely been for a process of um, experimentation through, yeah. through even reading, reading books and learning, through talking to people, through event, events, all sorts of things like that. Um, yeah, I feel I've contributed to myself. So I, I think that that is, the, I think that is that the is magic the magic pill. pill. And you know, one thing you said as well. I think 
it's about getting quiet with yourself. You know, a friend always um, talks about how through the silence and like just the, her quiet time, she's able to, it's Natalie actually. Natalie oh, yeah. is really good at um, just using that quiet time to just be still. And she's like, that's when I start to really tune into my purpose. And I've always also said with my clients, like, harnessing your inner anchor like you all we all have this inner anchor this inner voice that really truly knows what we want to do but we've spent so long dampening down the fire with the negatives and the shoulds and everyone else's expectations and it gets heavier and heavier and heavier until suddenly you, you don't even know what it sounds like anymore and it's fighting to get out and part of the purpose journey is stripping away all of those layers and just thinking, why am I living someone else's life? Mm-hmm. Dampening down with all of those things and listening to the inner critic too much. Instead yeah. of instead of walking side by side with the inner critic and learning. Yeah, yeah. Just, like, just having a little bust up together. Just like, what? Why? Why are you talking to me like that? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. That's really cool. You know, on your on your journey, particularly now in this line of work you're in with your happiness consultancy. Have you gone through any periods of time where you felt like your personal happiness has been really, really challenged? Mm. Yeah, so I've I've probably had two periods. Um, I think definitely in the early days starting out, um, I think I was a year into, so I, I got a job as a head of happiness for a company and I was with them for two years. And then I started to branch out on my own and I was just on that curve on my way up. And then I had a really bad period of ill health and um I think they thought I had cancer and I had like all these biopsies and I was just out for like months and I was really really questioning like how can I help other people to be happy when right now I fundamentally don't feel happy and um it definitely you know that was when I was approached actually initially to write a book and I'd started writing it on how to be happy first because um you know the theme was essentially you cannot support other people or help people to flourish in life if you yourself are working from an empty well and whilst that wasn't the book that I ended up publishing it was definitely coming from that place of me really digging deep to to find my happiness uh and you know a lot of work fell away because I couldn't do it as well so I was just a little bit like can I even make this work you know how do I do this And that stayed with me for a long time. And then I would say that I probably had a slight dip um, last August. And it wasn't so much that I was um, not, well, I think I was unhappy for two things. I think I lost two friends, um, one just very suddenly and another one that I knew she was coming to, uh, she had cancer. And I think it really just hit me that, you know, she was very young, 39. And I, it, it just made me really sad. And I think I was a little bit burnt out. I think I, you know, the book had launched, gone through the pandemic and I just worked. I was working relentlessly for like, you know, the coming up to like two years and a bit. And I was just like, this is intense. And it, it made me, it wasn't that I was personally unhappy, but I was just questioning my career in terms of like, is this still giving me the joy, the way that I'm working now? And it, there was that invitation of, I want more creativity. I want to study again. I want to do things differently. And I had Tutu's voice in my head saying, you know, Sam, you you always inspire me. And I love the fact that you try new things with Gusto all the time. And, you know, in one of her last voice notes to me was definitely 
that's spurring me on to kind of keep going and I was like I've stopped doing that so that's kind of what led me onto a journey of like thinking about studying again and I started with art psychotherapy this year and that just opened up a whole new world of how I can work with my clients one-to-one better getting more into creativity and then I start my master's in September in this kind of new neuroesthetics innovation pathway. Great and uh, again in the same period of time ever since you've ventured into this world of happiness consultancy what would you say has been the highest high along your journey? Mm. Oh so many highs Um, getting a book deal was definitely like that was just a crazy kind of summer and leading into that journey um that's definitely been a high doing my TED talk was also amazing um I think having a really interesting conversation with Hillary Clinton and Angela Duckworth about you know what it means to create change making leaders um but I think you know every day I get the highs from working with my clients or the feedback that they give me or you know, when I hear that they've been promoted or they have left something or started something new or spoken to their manager about what they want to try, like it's those things that just get me all fuzzy inside every single time. That's great. That's great. You know, um, maybe I should have asked this a bit earlier, but getting into this hap- um, line of happiness consultancy, how did you initially start to brand yourself and even get clients in the first place? Mm. So, I had a bit of a a, a portfolio career um, when I was doing a bit of like what I call style therapy coaching, kind of this styling versus coaching and and helping to support people. They would then invite me into their companies to do talks on like confidence. And I was also working at the School of Life, lecturing there. And I started working at a tech company. And originally I was brought in to help with strategic marketing and events and things like that and it was just supposed to be the kind of I guess at that time was like it's the filler whilst I was building out all the other stuff and then I noticed they had a lot of internal problems with people just not communicating they were like entirely remote so this was way before this this new hybrid life that we're all in now they were like pioneers and Mm. um you know I just said to them there's a lot of issues that you guys have got around like your people and development and just generally no one seems very happy here despite everyone being able to work from home and so I pitched them the idea I said look I would love to stay here and rethink about how I could work in this capacity and I said I do a bit of coaching I do a bit of teaching here I'm learning all these different ideas I could become your like head of happiness and they were like okay let's do it So I, you know, it was a three month trial, but I ended up being there for two years and I kind of rolled out their kind of coaching program, helped to build the culture there, like uh, remotely onboarded new people, did all the one-to-one happiness chats. And so when I left there, I just kind of was like, right, I am a happiness consultant. Like I've been, you know, doing this. And I started to pitch the clients. Initially, some of the people that I'd done talks with before, I, I pitched to do some more talks. Um, and to help them develop uh, ways in which they could kind of see some of the happiness uh, issues in teams. And then I got some work with Dishoom and I think that was my first like real uh, long-term piece of work where I was working with their head chefs 
their area managers, um, area directors, and then like the managers of all the kind of key restaurants. And I did a happiness program for them over the course of a year, uh, really getting them to think internally outwards. So looking at their internal happiness, how they then support their teams and people, and then how they kind of really build that out to make a Dishim leadership style. And that kind of was the journey for me. So there was lots of tapping into old connections, tapping into clients and where they were working and telling them, this is what I do now. Hook, hook, hook me up. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> you know, this is what I do. And this is what I can start with. And, you know, and then once I get my foot in the door, I would then speech, speech my way into little different consultancy packages or coaching. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. Let's go. I've got one final question that I'd like yeah. to ask before we go into the quick fire questions. Cool. What do you want your legacy to be? Oh, I think I'm on this planet to definitely support people, to help them um, to be better, to live better. I, I want to be known as somebody who helps you to think or to provoke you to think differently um, I want to help people to transform, to be better. And yeah, I just think someone who really helped support me to be better, somebody who helped to transform me, whether it's through my ideas, through my book, or, you know, some, a product that I created, they could really say that actually that helped me to transition to a new place. Great. Okay, perfect. Let's go into these quick fire, these lovely quick fire questions. Oh, <laughs> let me pull them up. Okay, uh, where are they? Here we go. Ten, que ten questions. There's no time limit. You just say whatever comes to your head first. <laughs> yeah, get right. with it. Cool. All right, let's go. Number one. What's your favorite movie? Oh my god. Um. Oh, I love Poetic Justice. Actually, yeah. All right. Cool. Next one. What's your favorite book? This is a tough one. I would say, I don't know if it's my favorite book, but a book that I keep going back to is uh, maybe from a work perspective, Reclaiming Conversations with uh, by Sherry Tuckle. All right, perfect. Next, name a song that you can never get bored of. Donald Jones, you know what's up? Oh, classic. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good choice. <laughs> okay. If you could only eat one meal for the rest of your life, oh, what would you pick? This is tough, fam. Um, <laughs> it's a it's a it's a toss up between plantain or apple crumble. Like I feel like those are my favorite. <laughs> those are some of my favorite things. Or my aunt's curry goat. Hmm. Cool. We can have them all. It's like one. I just have them all. Yeah, one yeah, big yeah. combo meal. All, all of them. Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. How do you start your day? Uh, I definitely, I get up, pull the curtains. I like loads of light in my eyes and then uh, just some time to think, meditate, be intentional, grab a smoothie, bit of movement, bit of music, done. Great. Name three people that inspire you. Um, to my auntie Yvonne. Um... I am inspired by Nina Simone and Rihanna. Great. Okay. What's the best advice you've ever received? Mm. 
Um, be mindful of your words and actions towards others and you train people in how you want to be treated. So two separate forms of advice from the same woman. Great. If you were to dedicate the rest of your life to one charitable cause, what would you pick? Uh, Sickle Cell Foundation. Um, I feel like there's just loads that needs to be innovated and developed around there. So yeah. Great. And I continue to give to them now. So yeah. Great. All right. Down to the final two questions. Yeah. The kindest thing that someone has ever done for you? Mm, there's been quite a few, but I would say uh, being up all night with me when I was having a crisis. All right. Great. And final question. What's one thing people don't know about you? Yeah, I guess that I, I talk to myself quite a lot, actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Full on having lots of conversations in my flat to me, myself and I. You, you and Dizzy. <laughs> me, me, no, not even me and Dizzy, just me, me and me. <laughs> just talking through stuff, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good anyways, that's perfect. All right, yeah. thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Really, really enjoyed our conversation, Samantha. Oh, me too. So good. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it was so good. Thank you, like, really appreciate it. And there's so many nuggets, like, so, so many I can take away from this. So it was perfect. Thanks a lot. Oh, good, yeah. good. So before we wrap up, um, where can people keep up to date with you if they want to keep up to date with you? And also, have you got any any final words you want to share as well? Mm, well, no, just thank you for, for having me. I hope that someone has taken just a little bit of a nugget of information today and put it into action. I'm a woman who likes action, so just hit me up with any things that you're working on or doing. I love to know how you've been inspired. You can find me at uh, samanthaand.co. That's my website. My uh, Instagram is at Samantha and underscore, and I'm also on LinkedIn as Samantha Clark Happiness Consultant. And uh, yeah, definitely check out my book, Love It or Leave It, How to Be Happy at Work. If you are in a career transition and you want some support, that is the first place to check out and watch my TED Talk. Great. All right. Perfect. Once again, thank you so much for coming to the podcast, Samantha. I really, really enjoyed our conversation. Cool. But that's that for now, people. That was 1,000 Voices. This is what Samantha Clark. And for now, we're out. Bye. Yes, yes, people. Thank you for tuning in once again. It is always very much appreciated. And what did you think about this episode? Do you feel like you've gained some practical knowledge and advice that you can use to go about finding your own happiness? Or maybe you've gained a better understanding of how you're already on the path towards proclaiming your own happiness? Or maybe you're already happy? It's always great to hear back from you guys. So leave a comment or a review wherever you're listening to this right now. And if you'd like to receive weekly practical advice from seasoned Black British entrepreneurs and change makers, then subscribe to our email list to get these sent right to your inbox. With us that for now, thank you for tuning into 1000 Voices. And for now, people, we're out.